0: They say that that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And if that's the case, then this podcast is now stronger than ever. Just about every type of scheduling snafu and late summer distraction you can imagine all conspired to delay the arrival of this episode. But here we are at last. We finally hear the story about Jeb's move and his new job. We compare notes on the great and ever-growing contributions of women to aviation. And we brainstorm about how much proficiency is enough. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 45, it's moving day. Thank goodness we're quiet tonight. We're trying right. to we're just, behave we're ourselves. waiting with, with fear and trepidation. Well, then this will be the first time ever. Uh, you know. Well, you want one of these beers? Yeah, oh, man, would I ever. That would be great. But. <laughs> just, I'm just about ready to pop one open. Myself. Oh, well, not this me. going will be I'm a afraid.
1: very interesting session. I I'm, can tell already. That's <laughs> right.
2: That's well, the know, big
0: difference between the evening sessions. In the morning, we're half asleep, and in the evening, we're half looped. <laughs> I, I, I I you know, I, I don't think that's an
2: approved aerobatic maneuver, but I think it improves it, it improves half the looped? podcast.
3: Half loop, half loop, right. right. Half loop. Half loop. Call an That's right.
0: That's yeah. right. A Cuban four. Yeah, there we go. That's right.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I'd say that the time change has been good for us.
0: I think the evening thing will work out well uh, if we can just find the yeah, right day so, of the yeah, week uh, it
2: let's me sit closer to the beer cooler, so
0: always a, always a good thing well, welcome folks. Welcome, folks. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, okay, see, welcome, folks, to episode number forty-five of Uncontrolled Airspace: The General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Monday evening, September third. It's Labor Day here in the United States of America, and uh, Happy Labor Day, everybody! <laughs> we're all uh, sort of recovering from a holiday weekend or other things, as you'll see in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, we're, we're recording this a little bit later than we thought because we had a little bit of a scheduling challenge But uh, we persevered and we got the gang together And uh, so we're going to talk to you for the next hour or so about uh, what's going on in the GA world and beyond Let's say hi to who the others who are here in the virtual hangar this evening Dave Higdon is here, Dave is an aviation photographer The senior editor for Kit Plains magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine He's joining us this evening from Wichita, Kansas You are in Wichita today, right? general aviation and beyond absolutely right here in the air capital because you were doing a little traveling where were you
2: uh made a swing out to the middle uh part of the ohio river valley uh, southern indiana uh, louisville kentucky area uh to uh visit a little bit with uh with my mother and kids grandkids and sundry high school and old biker buddies and and uh, generally uh Forget that I have a job uh, or several jobs for about five days, and uh, and uh, you. just pretend I'm a college kid again. That's right. Always good when you can do it.
3: They had colleges back then.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, but the, the you know the book bags were awfully heavy, the stone tablets and all.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The and
2: chisels and hammers kinda chisels the hammers kind of had chisels and hammers. You know, modern word processing. <laughs>
0: Also uh-huh. with us here this evening in the virtual hangar is Amy Laboda. Amy is the editor in chief of Aviation for Women magazine and is a contributing editor to EAA's Sport Aviation magazine. And she's talking to us this evening from the springtime home of the Boston Red Sox, Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> you weren't you weren't, you weren't with us, Amy, the night that we went, we got nuts and uh, and uh, we're doing strange introductions for everybody's hometowns. Number forty-four, yeah. <laughs> But uh, there's nothing strange about it being the springtime home of Boston Red Sox. I'm going to have to come and visit you some spring. And
1: No. In fact, did you know we are also the springtime home of the Minnesota
0: Twins? I know. Those guys who keep winning that silly mare's wow. cup from us every spring. You know. And... Yeah. Somebody's well, got to do it. you got, got, got <laughs> Twins spring training teams. They do.
1: We do. We do. And tonight we have electricity, so we're all lucky and happy. Hey, that's
0: right. Why wouldn't you have electricity?
1: Because we also have this thing called the air mass thunderstorms on a day-in, day-out basis this time of year. And sometimes we have electricity and sometimes we don't.
0: <laughs> well, and and speaking of scary things arriving in Florida this time of year... <laughs> now, now they tell me. Yeah, they tell you. <laughs> also with us in the virtual Keep hangar this evening is Jeb you, man. Check the fine print. Check the fine print. <laughs> Jeb is a freelance aviation... Well, okay... Here's what I usually say. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving edit- as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. That's mostly true. Usually you talk to us from Springfield, Virginia, but you're not this correct. week. What's
3: up with that? That's correct. What's up with that is, is, is indeed. Um, I am speaking to you from Sarasota, Florida, just up the road a hike or two from Fort Meyer, uh, and in Naples, in that area where, where Amy is situated uh... having relocated down here in the last week to ten days that's one of the reasons we're uh, running behind schedule on getting this episode in the can um... I will continue to be doing uh, aviation safety, I will continue to be doing avweb, I will add uh, some uh, contributing editor duties to aviation safety uh... onto my plate um... hopefully I'll still be doing some freelance stuff, I will certainly still be doing uh... uncontrolled airspace cool. Cool. And uh So basically, basically the uh, you've taken publisher of uh, publisher of Aviation Safety made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh-huh. And uh uh that included relocating to Sarasota. Uh-huh. Uh, it's been a fun couple of ten days here, uh for me. <laughs> just getting uh uh body soul and uh an eighteen wheeler and uh a pickup truck and a sort of other parts uh, all the way south from Virginia, but uh pretty What's much all the same zip code now. No. Debbie uh, is still in Virginia. Debbie back in, is still Virginia. in Virginia. Yeah, Debbie is uh, on a tie-down, still at Manassas now, out of, out of that hangar, that hideously expensive hangar. Um, and uh, I'll be going back to get her, uh, hopefully, this coming weekend. I haven't made the airline reservation yet, but that's plan A. Uh-huh. So what,
0: uh huh. So what's the difference so, in, for example, what's the difference in hangar prices between, uh, between Manassas and wherever it is? Where are you going to be based now?
3: About half Florida. price. Yeah. Yeah, about half price. Venice, uh, which is Venice Municipal Airport, which is where I want to base the airplane, does not have any hangars available right now. The prices I've been quoted are $300 plus tax. Tax is 7%, so it's $321. Um, in the meantime, I do have a uh, hangar available in Arcadia, Florida, which is about oh forty-five 45- to 60-minute uh, drive uh, from here, which... I was driving, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes to Manassas to get to the hangar. So an extra five or 10 minutes to save, you know, for, for less than half the price, it won't bother me at all for a, for a period of time. Uh-huh. Um, but I haven't I haven't locked that down yet. I haven't signed the papers and signed the check. But I will be doing that here in the next week or so. Right. Yeah. And that's where Debbie will be, uh, uh, at least in the short. term.
0: That, in uh, the short term That that's yeah. an interesting question but first let me drop this in because i know i'll forget i am jack hodgson a private pilot <laughs> a freelance writer and a new media producer up here in boston massachusetts there's no jack h like our jack h jeb that's an interesting question that's an um... what what's the process you went through to pick an airport
3: well it, it, it's kind of a no-brainer here I, I, sarasota international sarasota bradenton international airport is probably physically closest uh, to where I'm living right now. Um, but it's mostly corporate hangars and higher priced uh, uh, facilities there. Venice is where I want to be. A, um, the hangar prices are lower. B, it's uh, basically a piston GA airport as opposed to an air carrier and turbine GA airport see um, my uh, boss and partner on these two magazines, uh, Paul Berger Rally, is based at, uh, at Venice also, so there's a, a synergy uh, there. Um,
0: Never hurts to be able to spend that's... Saturday morning with the boss occasionally, right? Well, Every now and not.
3: again. yeah. Every now and again. Um, Arcadia is just a hop, skip, and jump up the road. Uh, it's, it's a lot further than Venice is. But uh even that hangar is even uh cheaper than it would be at, at Venice. Um uh but again there's nothing available at Venice right now. Yeah.
0: Describe the airport for us. Is it big, small? Does it have a restaurant? Does it uh
3: Venice?
0: Venice does, yeah. It's uh it's a
3: it's an and more than adequate uh Piston GA airport, let's put it that way. Uh, I think the longest runway is five thousand feet. Uh, I've seen leaders and hawkers go in and out of there with, with uh regularity. Jeb,
1: one yeah. thing you really have to watch out for at Venice is that you can't see the end of the runway from the other end of the runway, and it well, has yeah. two runways that cross.
3: Uh, the other thing you have to watch out for at Venice is when you're on the downwind for runway four, uh, you're out over the Gulf of Mexico. On oh, hazy days and or at night, there is no visual horizon.
1: That we'll is talk correct. talk about
3: that a little bit We'll talk about that a little bit more um, towards the end of the show but um, uh that's that's the other big thing to watch for this. and of course it's an uncontrolled field although a a uh, tower is in the works um, at that uh, at that facility I should say it's a non tower airport excuse me uh the tower is uh, in the works in the next year or so uh which hopefully will uh, uh I don't know if it'll make it better or worse let's put it that way
1: well, uh, I can't. Um, I'm I've will... had
3: it, it makes it worse.
1: Yeah, it 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 will alleviate the problem of people shooting instrument approaches in marginal VFR into a very busy uh, right. VFR pattern. Exactly. exactly. And right now, that um, that creates all kinds of excitement.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Venice does have a very good restaurant right on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Venice also has, uh, because of its uh, Unfortunate history, uh, some fairly significant uh, security uh, concerns. Uh, Venice was uh, used by the 9-11 hijackers, one of, some of the 9-11 hijackers, I should say, as a training facility early oh, on. Oh, really? I didn't uh, know that. When, after they came to the States, uh, back in the 2000-2001 time frame. But uh, w- uh, one of the flight schools there was uh, uh, had been used by them for some training, um and it's for a time you basically uh, uh from what I understand in an escort or something like that to go to and from your own airplane. But that's uh, you know we still have they still have gates and uh uh that kind of thing at Venice, but I'm used to that and they have that at Manassas. So Yeah. I don't think they have anything at Arcadia. I think they have maybe some pavement some hangers that uh, uh have apparently fairly sturdy because they withstood one of the more recent strong hurricanes. But I think that's about it. Not not in cheap fuel.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amy, what airport are you based out of?
1: I'm based out of a little airport called uh, Pine Shadows Air Park in North Fort Myers, and the runway is approximately a quarter mile down the road. Oh, okay. That's from my house.
0: That's so do you taxi true. up the road into your garage? Or?
1: I do taxi up the road into the 60 by 60 toy box that is sitting in the front yard.
2: <laughs> oh. That sounds cool.
1: <laughs> I want
2: one of those, <laughs> yeah.
0: I want yes. one of
4: those, too.
1: Well, Jeb, if you want one of those, there's actually a couple of those in and around the Sarasota-Venice area you should check into.
3: Well, I'm going to. I I uh... Uh, You know, you started getting off of of aviation-specific tangents, but uh, uh, I'm renting this house I'm in now, and with the idea of of buying something in the next year or so, uh, I don't know uh, enough about the local market yet to, to really figure out where I want to go and that sort of thing, but I'll be looking at a lot of options.
1: Yeah. I believe you will have a lot of options in the local market for about uh, next, the next year. In the
3: next year and a half, <laughs> two years, there will be a lot of options. Magic, magic, <laughs> yes.
0: That's yes. why I'm
3: looking. So.
0: So what's going on in the aviation world these days? Uh it's been so long since we did one of these. It just seems like forever, but uh, I, how to do it. I was skimming back over the news uh, uh, this afternoon, uh, and uh, I, I and this actually just happened the other day. Um, we knew it was going to happen, and that is that uh, they gave out the contract for ADSB, and they they gave it to ITT. is anybody?
3: I'm I'm happy about that actually.
0: Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: because if Lockhart had gotten it, only God knows what would have happened.
0: Yeah. Um.
2: Well is uh, we, there's we saw, a, just, we, it's putting too many eggs in one basket, too. And that was exactly, my, my, exactly. my worries about Raytheon and and, and Lockmart both.
3: Very good way to put it.
2: Yeah. Uh, so nothing what's
3: against it? the fine folks at Lochmart, nothing against the people who work there. No, or we Raytheon. have seen we have seen um in the flight service station uh privatization, shall we call it, uh how badly things can get screwed up. And we surely do not want that to happen to ADSB.
2: Yeah. Well, I hope next time some politician running for something, yeah, wants to open up his mouth and talk about how, it, you know, private business is inherently better at doing certain things, almost anything, than the big bad federal government. To remember that the flight service station system was running pretty damn smoothly, pretty damn well, and pretty damn efficiently uh, before somebody decided that they could pinch a few pennies out of the employees and move it to the private sector, Uh, all on the uh, allegation that it would save folks like us money and get us better service. Uh, You know, zero for two is pretty bad. Yeah. Uh
0: Uh-huh. So is that all we have to say? Really, is there subject we well, really are covering in two minutes? Come AD, on, I, the ADSB guess,
2: contract. Guess, yeah. the, the 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 disturbing thing about seeing the ADSB contract being let right now, with you know, regardless of who won it, uh, is that we're not really sure exactly what that means and how it segues into the transition because. Uh, we were hoping to see an NPRM, a notice of proposed rulemaking, laying out what the transition's going to be like, at least through the first phase, uh, which is what this ITT contract covers, uh, essentially is, is, uh, the big part of it is the first phase in the transition and, and preparing the country for, you know, all, all the phases of transition. But we don't know what that is going to say yet because, uh, it's, 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 it's missing in action. Uh huh. Yeah.
3: Wasn't that supposed to be out by September 1?
2: Uh, that was well, there what we've been hearing since about yeah. last September, October, Yeah, was that it was going to be out before the end of the fiscal year. But it didn't uh, get it.
3: Well, well it's, it's, it's the end not the, fiscal it's year not the is end of still, the fiscal year
2: yet. Right, but uh, you know, Labor Day was kind of everybody's target uh, so that uh, they would have the rest of the fiscal year to get some of the initial discussion under the belt so that the next fiscal year's legislation could start dealing with the cost.
3: You mean FIA missed a target? <laughs> I'm shocked.
2: Yeah. And uh, according to Marion, they've been you know like ninety six percent on target and ninety seven percent on budget uh, for as long as they're willing to remind us of this. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it seemed somebody, like they I mean,
3: think some people did I think some people did some fact checking on that and uh, kind of debunked that. I think she had to go back on that prediction or that. Basically. I
2: think so, but it it still yeah. hadn't stopped it from creeping into pronouncements recently. Uh, you know, the, the bottom line is, that in reality, what we missed was the rumor of a deadline, uh, <laughs> because I don't think anybody at FAA ever got behind the number on the record. A yeah. number of them got behind the date uh, uh, the date and the time frame for the NPRM off the record, and even guardedly then. So, uh, uh, give us some meat, guys. Give us something we can get our teeth into. We want to believe the idea that you can do this better. Mm-hmm. We just need a demonstration of capability. Yeah.
1: Well, we, we, we know that the technology can be done that's not the problem we've demonstrated right. that several times we even like the technology we even think the technology is affordable but it's terrifying to have the contract awarded when you don't even know how you're going to implement it yet Mm-mm. because to me all that says is we're going to start talk we're going to start paying the company
2: yeah, it, it kind of leaves me in the lurch on uh Gee, am I going to have to equip with this about the same time I start drawing Social Security? Or uh, can I not worry about it until about the same time frame that I'm going to be doing a pre-need funeral arrangement and just let it ride that long? Uh, I don't
0: know that yet. Hmm. Yeah. I should point out, by the way, that um, I meant to men- mention this earlier. Uh, Jeb is on, a, on his cell phone today because uh, he hasn't got his broadband installed yet at his new house, and his telephone's flaky, and uh, so that's why his <laughs> his sound quality is not quite up to snuff. Um,
3: that's why I sound like I'm on a
0: cell phone. That's, yes, right, because you are on it a cell phone. It gives you an air of authenticity. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. right. Let's see now. I'm going to jump around on the list here a little bit. Um, Amy, this this New York Times article thing so there was a so in yet another sad example of the mainstream media getting the story wrong um, there was an article in the New York Times that you took exception to tell us about this
1: well the article was titled, titled up up oh never mind and what it, that was really the
0: title that wasn't you like deciding not to say it that was really the title right yes no that
1: that that was the title of the article in the New York Times and and the the New York Times writer who wrote it was a friend of Mark Phelps. Who, right. who wrote it? Anyway. Okay. His who? name is Matt, and Dave, you, you're going to have to look it up because I don't have it here in front of me to tell you Walt exactly Waltz. who wrote it. Matt Wall
2: um, Matt Waltz. Matt.
1: Yeah, yeah that's Matt who it Waltz. was.
2: Matt Waldron. Oh, okay.
1: And, and um, you know, here's a guy who's, who's a fairly competent writer who was writing about the sport pilot rating and how it's supposed to have changed student starts and brought aviation, you know, back to the common man and how cool aviation should be and learning to fly, and yet it's not making a big difference. And not only that, he said in the article that the only sport pilot certified airplane LSA basically that this guy could find to learn to fly in was built in nineteen forty six. Okay, and oh that's where God. I went. Really? And and he was talking with this guy who 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 wanted to learn to fly and he talked about how his friends' wives wouldn't let his friends learn to fly. Right. That they really controlled the money, and that they weren't interested, and so therefore the money was going to go someplace else. That this now, was very part, much support.
3: What part of all of this, Amy, got you most uh, anxious about this article?
1: Well, uh, frankly, all of it, because it was entirely inaccurate <laughs> from beginning to end. It would, it may have been one person's perception, but it was inaccurate in that it. This is. This is an article that ran in the springtime, and you and I both know that in the springtime, post-Sun and Fun, there were more than 50 certified LSAs.
2: Oh, let's look 15, at the most inventory of, which were brand of the new. S- screw-ups here. Yeah. Uh, more than 2,100 sport pilot certificates issued uh, yeah. between September 1, 2004 and June 1, 2007. Yeah, uh, more than two th- uh, more than 230 sport pilot instructors cert- certified. Uh, more than 4,000 light sport aircraft on the FAA registry, uh, and that's not counting type-certificated or amateur-built eligible. That's counting straight-up registered LSAs.
0: No, these are these uh, are the
2: actual numbers, right? This is these not- are the actual yeah, these, numbers. Yeah,
1: these are the actual numbers. Now, my question is, what offended me the most that this was a New York. Times reporter written story in the New York Times and it was that inaccurate. Yeah.
0: Now you didn't take us yep. sitting down, did you?
1: No, I didn't. Did I wrote, wrote a letter to his editor. Uh-huh. And I said exactly that. I also emailed Dan Johnson and sent him the story and said,
0: you need Absolutely. to for, for, do this. For people who don't know who Dan is, tell us.
1: Dan Johnson is probably one of the key figures in the entire um sport pilot renaissance. Right. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, well he's the head that's, guy. Yeah, of that's Lamar, a good right? way to put it. Uh, he, Yeah. At light light aircraft manufacturers association. But he's much more than that. In the beginning, the first time I met Dan Johnson, he was still involved with the with the BRS Corporation, Ballistic Um Recovery and they were saving lives in ultralights in the '80s mm-hmm. and the that's '90s right. with a with a new invention, which is a rocket-propelled parachute, purely there to rescue you if you have a structural failure. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what they were originally in. in, in Supposed to do, and they saved lives over and over and over again from a low altitudes.
0: That's right. Dan, of course, has been here with us in the virtual hangar a couple of times. And uh, so, what did you guys do with the New York? Uh, by the way, Dan can be forgiven for the fact that he apparently is one of the people who taught Dave how to fly. Right.
1: No, there you this go this is true yes these things happen
0: 30 years ago last week
1: so. <laughs> so so
0: you and dan raised a ruckus at the new york times what happened we
1: did and well you tell them what happened when i when you were you and i were talking about this story and you said i really want to see that story so what i do i sent you an email a copy there was a correction on it
0: it was there was dave you have it in front of you do you are you having it on your screen no, you I don't. I do not. Okay, but there was, and I finally dug up the uh, New York Times. is terrible about old articles, and it can be really hard to find articles that are more than a couple weeks old. But uh, um, but I, I found the article, and there was a paragraph at the very beginning that said uh, corrections, you know, and and then I think there was a paragraph at the end that actually put in a couple of factual corrections. It wasn't an awful lot corrected, but they did make note and. Uh, it's um, yeah, they, they didn't, didn't go change- ahead and correct the article, per se. No, too, so
1: no, they didn't they, change they the tone of the article, and they should have. I agree with you there. However, um, it was clear that they got the message that the article was inaccurate.
2: hmm yeah. yeah. Well,
0: and it's surprising because matt been- about- uh, Jeb, if you- I don't know if you have access to your email, but I actually forwarded this to you a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you're able to dig through your emails and find something for I'll me. Go- I'll go look
4: at you- it. You might
0: find it in there. So uh, now, the one of the things that got us talking about this whole issue, Amy, was that that we had a, a, a listener who wrote to us, uh, perhaps based on this article, in fact, um, and he was speculating on the idea that maybe the reason people aren't flying as much these days is because, um, quite frankly, because of the because why because are mom, discouraging. Mom, yeah, mom won't let dad. All right take up flying which struck me as a bogus idea um but uh you know i mean do you have any reaction to that whole notion
1: well i do i do i think that i think that there are still a lot of people who are afraid of small airplanes and it's entirely possible that in certain families this isn't absolutely true my problem is is that it's a generalization. It's a very broad generalization. And that it is anything but true across the board. My experience has been when the husband says he's about to take flying lessons, the wife comes out to the airport and says, like hell you're doing that without me. And I have found myself teaching husbands and wives how to fly over and over again. And you know who gets the rating first? Well, if she doesn't work outside of the home, it's typically the wife.
0: Really? (laughs) She has
1: more time.
0: She has more time. But she's here
1: to schedule the lessons.
0: Uh Uh-huh. But generally speaking, no less interested or committed or anything like that.
1: That is exactly correct. And not only that, but sometimes when she's afraid of it, she wants to learn to fly to control it. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. By being in control, I'm no longer afraid, you know? I mean, come on, let's face it. Climbing in a light aircraft is like climbing on the back of a motorcycle going down a wild, hilly mountain, right?
2: Yep. yep. Okay. Can be. That's part if, of the if appeal.
1: Don't, if you don't, <laughs> well, you say it's part of the appeal, but for a lot of people out there, that's not appealing at all. That's no, the most scary thing they've ever done in their life. So, you know,
4: so A-O- AOPA
1: like and 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 a lot of people learned a long time ago through the, that um, the best way to keep someone in the air is to teach his family and the people who he wants to play with how safe the airplane is, mm-hmm. and they did that and through the pinch hitter courses. Right. Pinch hitter
2: right? courses is is a godsend.
1: Yeah. 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 And so and so I would be the first person to say that they were not inaccurate with with somebody's experience. What they were inaccurate in this article for doing is portraying it as the general
2: consensus right.
1: that this is how it is everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And this is why it Casting happens. It is everywhere casting it as the norm rather than the exception that it is. Right. right. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Somebody nope. somebody's drink you know, somebody's actually actually focusing in their words tonight. I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, clearly, Amy, you don't have enough beer. I need uh, another beer. So uh. you know, I mean, it's just an- totally anecdotally, but it's been my observation over the past years. D- just to give you one data point, each year going to Oshkosh and looking at the crowd, and it's clear to me, anyways, that the that the mix of men to women has changed. You know, it balanced out. There are many, many more women I see at Oshkosh these days. Who it is so improved. The have but atmosphere there. Not not simply that women are in attendance, but women who have the appearance. They seem to be genuinely there for the airplanes, as opposed right, to a spouse who's who's along for the ride. All right, and 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 probably not the least of the reason for that is a lot of these uh, women in aviation programs. Amy, obviously, you're involved in a yeah, lot of these.
1: Yeah, I was going to. I was going to say, I can absolutely verify that. I can back it up. I have been going to this show since 1986. Now, I know there's people in this group right now who can, who can best me on that. But I can, I can tell you that over that time, we have made a market difference. It's huge. Not only the women who are in attendance, but let's talk about the women working the show. They're not all in the quilting tent, they're not just in the author's corner. Mm-hmm. They're not just talking about history. These yeah. women are talking about the airplanes they're building, the parts they're manufacturing. Am I, I, I mean, do you guys agree with me?
0: I do. As a matter of fact, I interviewed last summer a, a pair of women who run a, a a parts. They manufacture parts for for. Uh, I'm trying to remember their name now, but uh, Cozy Girls. The Cozy Girls, exactly right. Girls, uh, um, right. Products. Yeah, they, uh, they, and boy, are you talking about talking about serious, you know, hot. Pilots. <laughs> I don't mean hot. I'm getting myself in trouble here. I was going to say something. I was <laughs> yeah, going to. I was going right. to right. use a phrase that I can't. I was going to use a phrase that I can't use on a family some, podcast.
2: Somebody hand me a shovel so we can stop using his hands Let to me dig help the hole. you. Let me help you. And
1: it, since we're since we're whining at the times about accuracy, at this moment, neither of these women are cert- certificated pilots. Although. Yeah, Chrissy will become one and Randy both will become one what's so exciting about Chrissy and Randy is they come from an engineering background and they have decided to go into the parts business circumstantial to the fact that they were building a cozy Mm -hmm. and they decided to build the cozy because they wanted an airplane to learn to fly so let's go all the way back around again to Chrissy having gotten some hours earlier in life, and talking with her friend who worked across the hall in an office, and and making the decision that they should go find something, and deciding that what they really wanted to do was build something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: And 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 those are quintessential EAA members.
0: Yeah, two very interesting yeah, people. It, they were it, fun it to talk it, to. It, yeah. And they're it, women. It, it, it,
3: one, one other point is and just to add to Amy's point here. At Oshkosh, not only do we see more women interested in aviation, and, and of course this this pair is is kind of an extreme example, but um, hopefully they will be the norm. But we also see more families yes. um, over the years. Mm-hmm. We see the, the father. The, the wife, the husband, I mean, sorry, the the, the husband and father, uh, the wife and mother, and, you know, a child or two in tow. And they're all there. It's a family event. They're all there to look check out the airplanes. They may be there for the air show, uh, but they're tire kickers, too. They're walking around. They're looking at the eclipses. They're looking at the Cirruses. Um, they're looking at all the home-built and the Warbirds and the Experimentals and everything else. Um, and that... In my recollection, was not always the case.
1: Mm-hmm. That that is correct, and and one of the other things that EAA has been so good about is bringing the kids to the show. They do it through Air Academy, they do it through Women's Soar, they do it through Adventure. all the different programs that are that are out there. They do it through the um, alliance with the Civil Air Patrol, and things that I saw this year were: Did anybody read about the Pole Kids? And did y'all look and see who they were?
0: Oh yeah, no. Tell tell me about that.
1: The pole kids. These are kids from. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Dakotas, is that correct? I don't know. Um. So one of those states out there, big state, <laughs> really far away, not a lot of people. <laughs> Someplace um, there. Yeah, That's and and they were tasked with restoring somebody's pole completely restoring it, taking it all the way down and bringing it all the way back up. Um, These are girls between the ages of 12 and 17. And there were a team of them, and that's what they did. They restored this airplane with an advisor.
4: That required
1: welding, that required um, stitching, that required um, rebuilding wooden parts, Mm-hmm.
3: Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I, now you no, mentioned you're it, right. I, have, I can't, I have heard I can't story. think of the location. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we ran a story on them in the, in the newspaper. Oh, we we might have.
2: We had a group of high school kids the year before. Uh, I want to say a T-Craft, but it may have been an Aronca. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was in Aronca, it was side by side. Uh, but they were part of a group that restored an airplane, and these kids flew the airplane from California.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that one, too. I remember. Yeah. And I guess my point, when I get back to it, is in, in this particular case with the Pete and Paul kids, they were all volunteers who were then, you know, vetted, but they ended up being all girls.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. Oh, so it wasn't primarily a program for girls. It was for no. kids, but the ones yeah. that came out were, um, that's really cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's my point. Is the ones that came out, the ones who finished the project, who um, got donations, donations that came starting from Paul Poberezny's pocket to come to the show. Uh
2: huh. Yeah. Well, and it's it's long been it's long been a pet peeve of mine that uh, the general aviation community does far too little. Of selling the lifestyle, selling the family aspect of it, I mean my bride would have her pilot's license right now if uh if she hadn't been on uh she hadn't had a situation that wouldn't let her pass a medical now she could get a sport pilot, no sweat uh go. even without the ability to pass a medical. She took lessons up to the point of soloing uh. B- bottom line is that uh, you know about once a year we'd get her out with an instructor. And uh, he'd get her, you know, a little polished again, refamiliarize her with the controls. There was never a doubt in my mind uh, in any of the longer trips that we took that, uh, you know, the worst that was going to happen was she was going to have a language barrier, uh, you know, flying someplace like Cuba, over flying over Cuba or flying through Mexico, uh, where the controller's language was uh, uh, English for us, but that was not their first language. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she knew who to dial up, why to dial up, what to do, uh, how to do it, and in and, and which direction, you know, how to determine which direction she was going to do it. Uh, she didn't want to be like a, a young couple that we met at our old home field, Augusta Municipal, where dad, who was in his late 40s, had had a heart attack uh, in a convenient location, very mild had uh, been treated and got his medical back no restrictions but before the heart attack and after the heart attack wife did not feel comfortable asking to get involved with the airplane because that's what he did that's what dad did and they're flying around with two lovely young daughters in the back seat and I'm thinking oh man I hope the next heart attack is back on the ground where the first one was yeah, he he was back living a lifestyle that, you know, helped precipitate the youthful heart attack in the first place, and he's flying around this really sweet bonanza uh, with his wife and kids in the back, and she doesn't know anything about the airplane. It's not her place. Uh, just scared the hell out
0: of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just can't
2: imagine a woman sitting still for that.
0: Yeah. But yeah. Amy, I don't know if this is something you can talk about, but you were telling me a little bit about a new, uh, exciting program that's going to celebrate women in aviation. Is that something you can talk about? Or?
1: I'm not sure I can talk about it yet, okay. but it should be pretty exciting. And as soon as I can talk about it, I certainly will. But uh, okay. look out for look out for the women at Oshkosh next year. That's all I have to say because it should cool. be a heck of a crowd. And I'll leave it at that.
2: Okay. okay?
0: All right. How cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on a more somber note, um, we have a couple of notable uh, uh, losses to the aviation world in the past few weeks. Uh, let's see now. Uh, Dave, can you talk a little bit about uh, Bill Piper's passing? Uh,
2: Mr. Piper. It is Bill. William, am William, I correct? It, wait, yes. William T. William, Piper, Jr. B. Jr., B. Jr. Uh, passed away on August 31st, just a few days prior to us recording. Uh, we're recording on the 3rd. So it was Friday Mr. Piper was 91, uh, went to work for his father at a very embryonic Piper aircraft company and continued with it uh, uh, well beyond what was retirement age for most other people and uh, saw the company through its move from Lock Haven to Vero Beach through the uh, years where I think were golden age years for Piper. Uh, You know, after they came away from the tube and rag uh, stuff of the uh, Pacer and Tri-Pacer and Super Cruiser and, of course, the ubiquitous J3, we got the Apache, uh, a twin, uh, and the Comanche that still has a great following today. And the twin Comanche and the Cherokee that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people would put up with the 172. As one of the best airplanes ever designed for the new pilot, the all-around pilot, uh, the pilot that just wants to have a nice airplane to fly, uh, it uh, 91 gentleman had a full life, was a major influence on general aviation. Uh, the General Aviation Manufacturers Association made considerable note of some of his uh, some of his uh, contributions. Mm-hmm. to the general aviation community and its development beyond just being uh, you know the head guy at Piper so uh, we're so, you know starting to see him go happy
0: for what he contributed and for his long life yeah yeah well we'll remember him um, and uh, a less well-known name but no less of a big contribution to aviation um, is uh, Paul McCready passed away uh, Amy you did some research about about Paul
1: I did um in fact, I was looking up Paul because Paul is the guy who brought us human powered flight, and uh, he was the king of the ultra ultralight, in fact, I think the gossamer condor weighed maybe fifty six pounds empty mhm, and had just enough room for one particular person. His name was help me out here, guys oh. Brian Allen. Brian Allen, there you go, um, to fit in that airplane, and his job was to pedal like mad. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, did that not cross the English Channel?
0: I think it okay. did.
2: Okay, first yeah, one, the, Goss- the Gossamer yeah. The Condor.
1: Yeah, Gossamer yeah. Condor
2: in 1977 won the. Kramer
1: 1977. Prize. It was pre. It was pre 80s,
2: and right. uh, okay.
0: By oh, the 80s. No, but David's suggesting that there were two different flights. So, is that the case, Dave? The, the, Kramer,
2: the first Kramer Prize mm-hmm. was required a human-powered aircraft to fly a one-mile figure-eight. And I believe the minimum altitude had to be 10 feet. There you go. And uh, and, and Brian was a, uh, a hang glider pilot back when hang gliding was brand, brand new. And I And a dangerous. In, in a bicycle racer he had the two primary skill sets needed to fly the Gossamer Condor and succeeded and the uh, Kramer Foundation immediately put up a second prize uh, much greater prize for crossing the English Channel which was the the the, the contest of a major prize back in uh, in, in the uh, teens the 19 teens uh, Santos Dumont, I believe, won that prize. Anyway, the, the second prize was for a human powered aircraft to cross the English Channel, uh, at a point of your choice, but the narrowest point is uh is twenty one miles. And Brian again was the pilot and power in the uh, this time it was the Gossamer albatross mm-hmm. okay. that made it across the channel. And uh uh with the safety boat running right ahead of it and uh basically
0: about 15 feet off the water for the entire 21 miles. That's right. So, Amy, McCready was was instrumental in this program.
1: He was absolutely. He was the man who thought it up, designed it, um, and he moved on from these aircraft to solar-powered aircraft. So, in the early 80s, he built an ultralight aircraft that a pilot could fly that was powered by an electric motor, and... The fuel was solar energy. Mm-hmm. There were solar cells on it. it. had a big old prop and a little electric engine, and that puppy flew. In fact, the woman who was a test pilot for him, her name was uh, Janice Brown, now Janice Sullivan, uh, runs an FBO in Bakersfield, California today uh-huh. as flight instructor ATP. But she was his test pilot. Um, and this was in the early 80s this is something that has come full circle if you stop and think about it um and you remember what was unveiled at Oshkosh just this year
4: that's so
1: right. you know A we think that's new techno- from John yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and we think that's new but it really isn't really isn't very new H- having now. a whole
0: bunch of solar cells on the tops of the wings kind of gives a whole new meaning to the idea of remaining clear of clouds though doesn't it <laughs> uh, yeah it, it does cut your instrument options considerably
1: <laughs> well it's the it's the batteries that have always been an issue and yeah. uh that's that's really why in the 80s he had to keep the aircraft so small and so incredibly light mm-hmm. um However, as our battery technology has gotten to a place where we can afford to carry the batteries on board because of weight uh it's becoming more and more absolutely realistic to have a solar powered
0: airplane yeah. So what else did you learn about McCready and uh, anything uh, other notable things
1: mostly that he was he was much loved uh-huh. by the people who worked with him. Yeah.
3: Uh, He was well-respected, as I recall, also. Um, uh, He was carving a lot of new ground here, but uh, uh, he didn't necessarily do it with an ego, from what I know. Uh, He he was just here for the the love of aviation and the love of technology that he was developing. uh, I think there's been a lot of trickle-down in that. But the punchline is that uh, um, I never met the man, but from what I understand, he, he was not, you know, or an egomaniac or something like that. Uh, He he was, in fact, just a genuinely uh, genuine contributor, I should say, to Uh to the
2: technology. Well, Well, most most of the latter part of his life, Paul's efforts were geared toward uh, uh, helping solve problems that improve the environment, and uh, completely outside of aviation, and uh, greatly admired for that, as well as all of his aviation uh, accomplishments.
0: Yeah. Well, our condolences go out to the families of uh, of both of these uh, great contributors to aviation, and uh, they will be missed. Absolutely. Dave, Dave, you put an item on the list. I don't know if there's news here. Um, um, is there more speculation on the possible next uh, administrator of the FAA? I hadn't heard anything more than the, than what we talked about last
2: time. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I kind of unplugged for about six days. And uh, basically, took You're myself better. off the information
0: superhighway for a while. Yeah. So we haven't heard anything new. No, I mean it's. We, I wouldn't be expecting. You know, they got, as Jeb, I think, pointed out, they're they're in the midst of the whole reauthorization frenzy, combined with being away from Washington, anyways, and it's just well, a, you know, a quiet time. We did. We did have a big uh, uh,
2: assembly of alphabet groups. Sign a letter to President George W. Bush uh, asking that he act quickly and uh, and uh, with the, uh, a smart choice to run the FAA rather than go for another crony and a recess appointment uh, so that uh, there's somebody there at the yoke to help keep programs on track and moving one foot in front of the other. Uh, as reauthorization comes down the pipeline, and you know, as we've seen with the ITT contract, ADSB starts to move more affirmatively into the reality. Uh-huh.
1: Well, I believe the thinking behind that is that we need to have someone at the helm that we absolutely. cannot afford to have a low where absolutely nothing happens because there's nobody in charge.
2: And particularly now. I agree with you completely there. And we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen the uh, FAA kind of act like it had no rudder at times. But the track record of acting administrators picked from within the FAA has actually been pretty good over the years. And uh, so I. I, uh, while I understand their concerns about keeping one foot moving in front of the other with next gen and reauthorization and all that, uh, I almost feel like they're hyperventilating for no demonstrable reason, unless they have no, no faith in the deputy that's usually picked to be the acting administrator, like our old friend, Barry Valentine was, and Barry did an excellent job. He did not
0: act like a caretaker during his short tenure.
4: hmm
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, we're going to be following this carefully because it makes a, it's pretty important who becomes the next administrator, and uh, we'll, Very we'll see how that goes. Absolutely, um, I, think we'll, I think we'll probably see something in the next couple of weeks, but uh, we'll see
3: some some kind of a development. Let's put it that
0: way. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We've been getting, we continue to get lots of mail from listeners, and it's awesome. I mean, it's, um, and we now get. This is a terrible excuse, but it's the truth. Um, we now get more listener email than we can practically talk about or talk, you know read or present during the podcast. Um, so we've sort of decided not to try. We do make no mistake, we read every single email that comes in. Um, many times the three of us discuss them. Um, we almost always reply to the author. Uh, it 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 shapes our thinking about what's, you know, going on in aviation these days, and it gives us ideas for future stories. So please keep up the mail. We love it. We love it. Alright? Um, but- I think we can
3: say two things, too. Is one, at least in my case, I, I literally have not had regular internet access pretty much since our last episode, so... I'm I'm way behind personally in, in uh yeah. uh looking at uh the blog and, and responding to uh email that comes into the uncontrolled airspace addresses. Yeah. But more importantly, uh, I think we do need to kind of redouble our efforts to go back and revisit some of the more interesting email.
4: Yeah, uh, we should it,
3: do that. We'll, we'll be trying to do that in the incoming episodes. And uh, Just because we haven't mentioned uh, a listener's email doesn't mean that we're ignoring it. It doesn't mean that we are ignoring it does not mean that we did not find it interesting. It just means that uh, life has intervened.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're yeah. starting to sound like my kids with their homework.
2: <laughs>
0: well, what I'm going to try to do... I my email! Uh. <laughs> what I'm going to try and do. happens. Because, because a lot of listeners are now sending us really long, I mean, intriguing, detailed discussions of various yeah. subjects. Um, and it's fascinating. But it's way more than we can read or, or present on, on the podcast. And I've been kind of sporadically making them into blog posts, um, which is, I'm not totally satisfied with that as a solution. We may create a special section on the website where we just post um, emails that come in, regardless of whether we respond to them on the we just arbitrarily post every single one of them out there, so that everyone can talk about them and maybe we 'll have a comment area for that so that every, that'll- dis- you know start discussion on the website as well. It will be what it will be, yeah, but there are two I wanted to call attention to I just wanted to kind of talk about quickly um, We got one email from Chris from the u k And Chris wrote to us uh, – he wrote sending his best wishes to us on the first anniversary of the podcast, which was our big – you'll remember that was the the last episode. It seems like a long time ago now um, that we celebrated our little little birthday. Um, But he had some very nice feedback for us about the parts of the podcast that he liked the best, um, and that was very nice, and we appreciate that. He had this one interesting observation. He said – and I'm quoting now. He said, I'm in England, the home of silly place names. For example, (laughs) Nether Wallop and Burnt Bottom and Great Snoring – and he actually says yes really those are real names he says so i love dead cow international and in ponca city so uh um, that was from chris in the uk so uh, thank you chris for and, your for thanks your chris feedback. we love Got dead cow too yeah. particularly grilled over a big charcoal <laughs> fire like like the one i'm watching on my patio right now oh you're getting ready huh and then we got another uh, email from uh, Roy from uh, the airport CPS, which is apparently St. Louis downtown airport. I um, hope, okay. And he sent us a lot of, of really interesting information and, and suggestions for a couple of different subjects that we're going to come back to in the future. But one in particular, um, he talks about how he's heard, he's, uh, oh, now I don't have it in front of me, but I, he's either a pilot or a student pilot. He's heard dire warnings about how much proficiency training is required to stay safe. Um, oh, I remember and, this. Yeah, and and he wrote about whether or not it was just in fact practically impossible to keep up. And so I guess his question for the gang is is how much currency is enough? How do you know you're getting enough? You know, recurrent training. You know,
2: oh. uh, for, first first off, the uh, the the kind of stuff that the, that the that the writer was being inundated with. First off, you're not alone. Okay, so sit in shake off the blues a little bit and, and, and remember that some of these people are twisting things to fit a perspective that didn't necessarily apply to you. And second, it's a whole lot of old wives' tales. Uh, when I got my license, the word was, yeah, you know, if you don't do it all the time, you know, you're just an accident waiting to happen. Well, one of the reasons why I got the license was so I could do it all the time. Uh, and it was the same way when I worked on you know, went, went, went to train for my instrument rating. Oh, man, if you don't really use it, you know, there's really no point in getting it. And you, you'll just kill yourself. So I shouldn't get it because it'd be smarter to kill myself accidentally getting trapped in IFR weather. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Makes no freaking sense. Uh, yeah. So, you know, shake this off. Uh, how much currency it takes is an individual thing beyond what the regs require. Some people are such naturals and get so well indoctrinated and and, 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 and in one with their machine that they can not fly for a year and come back in an hour and a half or two hours. It's like they never left.
1: Yeah, Some,
0: you know what? Can I, can I, can people I? People are few and far between. Yeah. yeah. we we got to be yeah. quiet and let the CFI talk. Yeah, well, yeah. what I was
1: going to say is, is that Yes. After you gather enough experience, and let me talk about that experience, experience that probably came very hard and very fast in a concentrated amount of time. And and I'm going to talk about data from studies that have been done recently. Those people, several years later, will still show an ability to come back to the airplane And that familiarity will come back to them very quickly, and they can learn a new task in the airplane, and they can become comfortable again in the airplane reasonably quickly. But that still doesn't make them automatically proficient again.
4: No.
1: But the rules are every 90 days you need to do three takeoffs and three landings in the airplane you intend to fly with passengers in. That's the rules. Yep. Fair enough. Seems reasonable to me. 90 days is three months. Okay? Mm -hmm. If you want to do it at night, you need to do it at night to a full stop. If you want to do tailwheel, you need to do it in a tailwheel to a full stop. All these are really common sense, but they are so minimal. That's right. That that from a regulatory standpoint, you know, there's not much to it. Come on, let's think about this. Six months, you got to do some approaches and some holding and some navigating,
2: right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: It's really not very much. How long does it take to do that minimum proficiency? Half an hour? 45 minutes? Maybe if it's IFR stuff, to perform the bare minimum an hour and a half?
2: It's something that you could do in preparation for the long cross country you're going to take right after you get a check job.
1: Yeah. So, so going past that—that's all the rules say. That's now right. let's go dig around in your heart. Tell yourself the truth about what it feels like to go out to the airplane after a month and a half of not being in the airplane, of not but having to play with your and flight and simulator. <laughs> And you walk out there and you climb in. What, what, what does it feel like in your gut? Because if you've got butterflies in your gut and you're fumbling around a little bit and and the checklist not feeling natural, then you've probably let it go a little too long. Mm-hmm. If okay. you're bumping through a cloud and it's been a while since you've bumped through that cloud and you're finding yourself really sweating... Trying to hold that airplane on altitude on heading, what is that telling you? Yeah. If you're uncomfortable, what is that telling you? Telling you you're not proficient, and you need well, what, to take some time to practice before you do this again. It doesn't mean you're going to kill
3: yourself today. Yeah.
0: Jeb, you're the aviation safety guy. What's your take on yeah. this? Well,
3: well what i was going to echo everything that Amy said. Um, the only thing that I would add really is that when you're out bumping along in that cloud or you find yourself uncomfortable even on a uh b f r afternoon uh it's a little bit late to worry about whether you know you're you're current or proficient um there, there are there are varying degrees obviously of proficiency and and uh or, but even more important, there's varying degrees of how proficient you need to be for a specific operation. Uh, we mentioned instrument flying and and bouncing around through clouds. If it's been, you know, more than 90 days since you you went up and did three touch and goes or or three stop stopping goes or whatever, um, you need to maybe approach this a little bit differently. You need to stop and and think about what your mission is going to be that particular day. Are you going to go somewhere? If you're launching on a 500 mile cross country. You know, maybe that's not such a good idea. Um, Instead, maybe go out the day before and get familiar with the airplane again. Maybe go fly for a couple, of three hours before uh, you launch the next morning on that 500-mile cross-country. Speaking from my own personal experience, a week and a half out of the airplane, and I forget stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Ninety days is a long, long time in that vein. Is it safe? It depends on the operation. It depends on the, the proficiency of the pilot. There's, the 90-day rules are, are uh, indeed rules. They are uh, regulations. They are put in after years and years of experience. Um, and sometimes uh, um, sometimes uh, having learned uh, what those rules should be the hard way, uh, uh, the wrong way, uh, Through accidents and and uh, loss of pilots, but only the only the individual pilot can really assess whether they are proficient and current enough for the proposed operation.
4: Well, Um, that's that's it. When
3: when in doubt, go out and get some dual. Go go out and get some practice before you go out and fly that proposed mission.
1: Have any of you guys taken a look at the new FAA Wings program through faasafety.gov?
0: No, what's it like?
1: It's very, very interesting. And, and and this is where I want to get back to. You are absolutely right, Dave, when you were saying these are minimums. These are minimums. They have said they are minimums since the day they put them in place. Right. They are just bare yeah. minimums. But what they have done is they've dev- designed a program for keeping you current. And you can log into gov, and you can find out um, what courses they have online that you can take, and what kind of training you can do, and then you can have your instructor log on, and you an email will go out to the instructor that says, so-and-so says they did eight-tenths of an hour with you on takeoffs and landings, and you, the instructor goes, yes, in fact, I did that, and it kicks back in, and there's a whole training log for a basic WINGS for uh, an intermediate wings and for an advanced wings, that so there's no, no more of these phase one through twenty
2: deals. Well, not my and whole point in belittling the the you know the dire warnings and the uh, the you, you know you shouldn't do this unless advice that I've heard so often discourage people is that you need more than meeting the minimums. You need more than bare competence. But once you've acquired the skills, polishing up and getting back up to snuff is not that difficult.
1: That's absolutely say, as, true.
2: If, as you were saying if you were saying, Amy, how long does it take to do question mark? And you know, you could be talking an hour, you could be talking an hour and a half, you could be talking two hours. But this idea that we go through all this training and all this sweat and effort and the exams and the check rides, uh to have these skills denigrate beyond redemption in a few weeks or a few months to me is just ludicrous it just scares the straight people the the people that want to try to come in oh they've heard these stories and it's like guys you're not doing us any favors you, once you acquire these skills once you've got the baseline and it's been indoctrinated into you over and over and over again Getting back to a point of comfort and back to a point of feeling competent and being ready to go out and challenge at the level that is your average challenge. I'm not talking about flying off into the face of a hurricane or a thunderstorm. I'm talking about what your typical mission is, is not the same as what you went through to get it to begin with. Uh-huh. Well, Dave, what I really—it's easily requalified, and, and don't let all these naysayers drum you out of the idea of learning to fly because they're just misrepresenting what it takes.
1: What I really like about this new FAA Wings program is that what the FAA wants flight instructors to do is. Initiate their students right into it and show them. You know, here they were, first it was the, the biennial flight review, right? Once every two years, go take a check ride with a flight instructor. Make sure you're still up to par, right? Now they said, okay, we'd really like this WINGS program to be three flights over the course of one year and we'll keep recertifying you and the insurance companies loved it, etc. Now they've Created a whole program which is can be much more than three flights, or you can, as the flight instructor, have the discretion to build a flight instruction program such that three or four of the different items can be covered in one flight with a pilot who's particularly proficient, and still they can, they can participate in this program. So it gives the flight instructors a lot of flexibility. The, it is trying to get the flight instructors to bring their students, even as they're just becoming certificated, into a program that they can be kept track of online, sure. and, and certificates can be printed right out, and the instructors and the students are emailing each other. So it it keeps a continuity there and a relationship there that will prevent a a pilot from ever getting to that place where they're walking up to the airplane with a feeling of trepidation of, should I really be doing this?
2: I think it's a great setup, a great idea. And, you know, from my perspective, anything that's another excuse to go to the airport and fly is a good thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. In addition to all that great advice, I personally have always figured that um, spending an hour with my CFI is never wasted time. And that's uh, right. you know, I mean, for me, and this oversimplifies it a lot, but I, I kind of look at it if, if I even think about whether or not I'm proficient, then maybe I'm not. You know, and uh, I, but I, I'm very conservative about these things, kinds of things. So uh, that's great advice. Thank you guys. That's terrific. Um, and thanks to Roy from uh, CPS, Charlie Charlie Papa Sierra in St. Louis for that great question and for a bunch of others that hopefully we'll get to in the future. We'll be back. That's right. So uh, what else is going on? Anything else? We're sort of starting to reach the end of our allotted time here.
3: Um, well, there's one, one item kind of on a sad note I wanted to mention. Um, uh, one of my uh, uh, extracurricular activities is uh, partic- participating in the uh, d c pilots list uh, email uh, list uh, not coincidentally uh, d c area uh, aircraft owners um, we lost one last week mm-hmm. uh, a woman by the name of Karen dodds fifty um, ish uh, woman um, she and her uh, fiance were uh, i have lost some information over the over time I don't recall if they were going to or from. Mackinac Island, uh, near Lake uh, on Lake Huron, uh in know Trinidad. Uh but they um, did not arrive. And apparently uh, there was a witness that saw the airplane hit the water. Low visibility, uh kind of situation. Uh I spoke earlier about uh, the approach to runway four at Venice, Florida and how you're out of the water and on a hazy day you can lose uh, lose the horizon get into a spatial disorientation situation. It's way too early to, to say exactly what happened in this uh, episode, uh, but that's a likely candidate for a probable cause. Uh, Trinidad hit the water. They found some pieces and parts. They've not found the uh, entire airplane yet. and uh, don't know that they ever will have the water. It's fairly deep in that area, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, very sad. Uh, just um, kind of a reminder that uh, no matter how much fun this is it is a serious thing and uh, yeah, you do have to be careful. There you go. Uh, you have to be on game. There you go.
0: Yes. Next week is the uh, is the Reno Air Races out in uh, near Reno Nevada and uh, if you, you know, and i I said this once before on the podcast. Uh, if you if you've never been to the Reno Air Races and you're out in that part of the country, I just really urge you to go. I didn't go for years after I got involved with aviation because it didn't seem like it would be something that I'd be interested in. Um, But when I finally went, um, I was just astounded at how fast, how just exciting it is. It's just, you know, airplanes going really fast, really close to the ground, you know, in a relatively safe, I mean, it's dangerous, but a relatively safe situation. It's quite a spectacle. Um, And there's lots of airplanes, large and small racing and, uh, and, you know consider it. Yeah, it's out- a lot more than just the unlimited Yeah, oh yeah, there's, right, there's, right. there's biplanes and sport planes and uh, there's just there's about five or six different classes. It's uh, and there's a little and there's a tra- traditional air show that they do and there's some exhibits and uh um, it's, it's great. Go to the Reno Air Races. And uh, um, I mentioned last week that uh, we're looking for someone to uh, uh, maybe give us a call from the site uh, during the air races to kind of report on what's going on out there. Uh, I did hear from one listener, and I'm going to follow up on that, but I wouldn't mind hearing from one or two other listeners. If you're going to be at the Reno Air Races and you have a cell phone, uh, then uh, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, give, send an email to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com and we'll see if we can put something together. You guys have any other shout-outs before 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 we finish up here, well, uh, I'd like
2: to remind folks that the uh, antique uh, fly-in at Lee Bottom Airport in Southern Indiana will be coming up later in September. And if you're going to be in that part of the country, it's uh, upriver from Louisville, about 40 miles. Uh, Really, got quite a uh, quite a fun little one-day fly-in there at Lee Bottom Flying Field. You can find it on the web.
0: Cool. Amy, anything in your universe that uh, you want to call attention to? Uh,
1: yeah. Check the weather before you go fly, guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining in the morning. It's raining at noon, and it's raining in the evening. So it never hurts that, to look at the so radar. Florida.
0: That's we're going to have to right. Get, we're gonna be you and Jeb together. You give them a little bit of a local knowledge uh, recurrency training down there about uh, sure. uh, I
1: would be more than delighted to do that. And yeah, uh, take it. Take the time to go to faasafety.gov. Seriously, because yeah. I was pretty impressed with what they had there. That
0: sounds great. Well, thank Very you, Amy. Cool. Uh, you can learn more about Amy and her her activities, her works uh, at uh, WAI.org slash magazine. That's India dot org slash magazine. And uh, thanks to Jeb uh, at uh, JebBurnside.com, dot com, also AviationSafetyMagazine.com dot com and avweb dot com. And Dave at DaveHigdon.com, and I'm Jack Hodgson at JackHodgson.com, and AroundTheField.net, and you can stay in touch with all of us at the UncontrolledAirspace.com website. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you all again next time.